0: My why statement I developed was, I wanted to change the way people viewed the game of golf. Sounds like a lot, but as a PGA pro, I started local at my club and I took on the title of the director of fun. I didn't want to be a director of golf and I didn't want to be stuffy and I was a head golf professional and I said, you know what? People show up every day. They should be enjoying themselves. They should be relaxing. We have a service mentality. Next thing you know, I'm on the board of the New Jersey PGA and I'm growing a national network of PGA golf professionals and I'm writing and I'm giving presentations to PGM schools and I'm doing these different things. And lo and behold, a natural progression of things is I went to a larger medium as I got better and better at my craft. Right. And then, so here we are today. I host a show now for over three years and we talk about the pop culture of golf and sports. We talk about the innovators. We talk about all the cool things that are going on in golf. The golf world is really growing and it's becoming so much more engaging. And it reminds me of a lot when I was first a kid and I got involved in golf and I knew nothing about it and everything was new to me. And it's new all over again and it's a lot of fun.
1: You're listening to the Mod Golf Podcast where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us and please subscribe to the show so you hear about upcoming episodes and you can enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host Colin Weston, and today my guest is Keith Stewart, writer, media personality, and host of ESPN's The Pro Show with Keith Stewart, where they cover the pop culture of sports and golf in a fun and informative way for the New York and Philly market. So, hey, with that introduction, Keith, good to see you again, and thanks very much for joining us today, and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, Colin. That was a tremendous introduction. I'm, I need to hire you for the show for the for the opening. There I we mean, go. You're awesome. The, you know what? I awesome. am. I can be bought. I have a price. You know, I like you. I might even do it for free. There, that's a terrible business decision on my part, but I just put it out there. My rate. I also work for beer and rounds of golf, and we could finally get together too. So since you are the director of fun, is one I love that on your LinkedIn page. That's when you and I connected. And I saw that as soon as I saw Keith Stewart, director of fun, is like, this dude is right in my wheelhouse. We have to connect, and we've had lots of conversations. Been trying to get you on the show for a couple of months now. So here we are. So Keith, to start things off, let's roll the tape back a little bit here. Talk about your connection with golf here as a professional and even back in the early days of Keith Stewart.
0: Well, the first thing I want to do is, Colin, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be with you today and reach your fans. Uh, Certainly, my bucket list is getting shorter now that I've been on the Mod Golf podcast. So it's tremendous fun we're about to have today. And fun would probably be a word that we're going to use a lot during this conversation. I've always been a fun-loving person. One of the reasons i got involved in the game of golf even from a very young age as i was a bag rat at a local private club that i lived close to here in central jersey it was that it was a game and it wasn't that serious and it was something social to do with my friends and to work and to meet older people and to learn to converse with them and fast forward 30 years later and here i am i am still successfully positioned in the golf industry and and having a great time and throughout the course of all of that I think it's important to understand that I've always kept that mentality that golf is a game and it's social. And I'm so excited the way the golf world is evolving right now and with the influx of people that allows all of us, like you and I, to continue to tell fun stories about golf and engage people in a different way than maybe they had been engaged during the middle part of my life when it was a lot of tournament golf, the late 90s and the Tiger boom, and then the early 2000s, and then the country club boom. So it's it's really an exciting time in golf, and it's an exciting time to
1: be with you. Oh, well, thank you very much for that. Those, those wonderful things that you just said That's Very kind of you, Keith. So now that you've buttered me up here, I I guess I won't ask all those really tough questions I was going to ask you. So I guess I'm going to keep it light here today. Hey, you know what you're doing. You've got the strategy down pat here. So hey, to start off with, why don't you tell us about your show, what what you do on ESPN every Friday, I believe. So why don't you tell us first about what you do? Because it's certainly a similar lens on the fun side of what we look at with the Mod Golf podcast. But uh, tell us about what you do, the stories you love to tell uh, on your show. You know, I was a PGA, well, I am a PGA professional
0: and I was a club professional for 25 years. And I kind of found that communication and having a voice about five, six, seven years ago really kind of resonated with my life and where my career was going. And it was something that I took a liking to, and, and I spent some time learning and taking courses and trying to be the best golf professional I could be to my members, to my section here in the New Jersey PGA And all of a sudden, my storytelling and my communication skills became more of a focus than maybe I had ever thought would be in my lifetime. And it was kind of a cool thing in this progression. And around that time, if you remember, you go back and you go to your YouTube videos or your TED Talks, uh, everyone's why statement became a very hip conversation. Mm -hmm. And that really resonated with me. And whether it was Cynic on TED Talks or a book that I read at that time, you know, I, I, I love to consume a lot of media and leadership media. And, and I think that one of the things that draws you and I together is that you and I kind of have that same insatiable need to try to learn and improve, to try to keep a macro view of the world and a connection and an engagement value. So my why statement I developed was, I wanted to change the way people viewed the game of golf. It sounds like a lot, but as a PGA pro, I started local at my club and I took on the title of the director of fun. And I know you mentioned it earlier, but I didn't want to be a director of golf and I didn't want to be stuffy. And I was a head golf professional. And I said, you know what? People show up every day. They should be enjoying themselves. They should be relaxing we have a service mentality and we have return clientele. After all, this was a private country club in Princeton, New Jersey. And next thing you know, I'm on the board of the New Jersey PGA and I'm growing a national network of PGA golf professionals and I'm writing and I'm giving presentations to PGM schools and I'm doing these different things. And lo and behold, a natural progression of things is I went to a larger medium as I got better and better at my craft. Right. And then, so here we are today. I host a show now for over three years, every Friday afternoon here in the market that you just said, you know, New York, Philly area. And we talk about the pop culture of golf and sports. And certainly there's a bias towards our game, golf, because I'm a PGA professional. You know, I'm a lifer. I've been in the counter. I've run tournaments, regrip clubs. I've done all these crazy fun things, been a mentor. So the show revolves around, The stories and people of golf that are more pop culture. You know, I always kind of joke with people. I said, people have the PGA Tour down, the coverage of the PGA Tour. And they also have down crashing golf carts and hot women playing golf and all of these things. And if you see me on video, you know I really don't resemble either. That's a tour player or a hot lady or a frat guy crashing a golf cart. I'm a PGA professional. I exist in the middle and that's where the show is. And week in and week out, we tell the types of stories that you like to tell. We talk about the innovators. We talk about all the cool things that are going on in golf. The golf world is really growing and it's becoming so much more engaging. And it reminds me of a lot when I was first a kid and I got involved in golf and I knew nothing about it and everything
1: was new to me
0: and it's new all over again. And it's a lot of fun. Check it out on Friday afternoons. You can stream us, even out there in Vancouver.
1: Absolutely. absolutely. Even though the border is closed for us back and forth to drive over with COVID, but we can still listen in. That's still a possibility, and we certainly will. And we'll make sure that we, of course, include the link and cover your show in the show notes here, Keith, is what we will do, as we always do with the show. So I want to dig into this a little bit more. One quality you have that you didn't mention could have described what really drives you, that insatiable desire to learn, is, is curiosity. And I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, both in the golf space and also in other sectors too. And I've seen what I look at as successful entrepreneurs, one of the key character traits is curiosity, that insatiable need to keep learning and taking in experiences from others. And that is tied into empathy also uh, with that. I can tell you you certainly have that in, in spades. So, so back to the storytelling piece, which hits home with me, what I love to do both on the Mod Golf podcast and some of the other work I do in the entrepreneurship space. So let's start with some stories since you're such a great storyteller. I know this. So share with us, I'm sure you got to go through the mental Rolodex. You got hundreds to choose from, but I got to put you on the spot here, Keith. Why don't you talk about one or two that are aligned more, More with welcoming new people to the game that are more diverse than, let's say, let's be blunt than you and I, a couple of middle aged white guys. So, why don't you start with that? Maybe some stories got in that area. I was very fortunate as a PGA professional and a club
0: professional and a member of the New Jersey section who is super active in charity work and their foundation, the New Jersey Golf Foundation. It gave me an opportunity to volunteer from time to time and to go out into the community and connect yourself to a golfing population. One of the things that I have that makes me curious is a very macro view of the world. Mm. I'm constantly looking outside my borders, and I'm very aware of the fact that I don't want to be a big fish in a small pond, and that's an easy thing to do. And I think at times, as we look at the, the private country club world or just golf courses in general and golf communities, that we become rock stars in that one little stadium, and we don't go on tour right? We right, don't share right. that with the greater community. And I got some advice from one of my mentors way back when, this guy, Gregor Jameson, and he is still the director of golf down at Lake Nona, but he was also my director of golf when I worked at Isleworth Country Club down in Windermere, Florida. Famous spot down there outside of Disney World and in, in the greater Orlando area. He was always of the belief that we needed to connect with the community. And he would show us, when I was an assistant professional back then, the ways with which you could do that go to a Chamber of Commerce meeting or go find a foundation or a charity that resonated with you and then connect with them and then say, hey, golf can be a gift. I mentioned earlier, I like to go present and that presenting started with like the Chamber of Commerce to get more members selfishly at the club or to introduce the game to more people. And what I found and what's really the cool essence of your question is that when you go out and I was doing this, let's say 15 years ago, my definition of what golf was is so different than what my definition of golf is now. And even in between. So if you took a definition every five years over the last 15, I think this is what makes it really cool about what you and I get to do and being storytellers in the game. 15 years ago, it would have been, hey, come to the range, let's hit balls, let's go through this instruction piece, right? And then from there, eventually at some point in the next 50 years, I may bring you to the golf course. Fast forward five years in front of that or 10 years ago, then it was, hey, let's kind of 50-50 this whole thing. Let's make people be able not only to hit balls on a practice range, but let's bring them over to the practice putting green, maybe a chipping area, and then maybe play one hole at the end of that clinic experience. Right. Or if I went to a chamber of commerce and I threw up, uh, God forbid, a PowerPoint or something on golf. I mean, if those two should even be together. But 10 years ago, I might have done that in, in the sensibilities that I had at that time on how to portray the game. And that's the way it came across nationwide and globally. And now we wouldn't do a PowerPoint. We would do the whole presentation on the first hole. We would play that hole. All the programs that we have that are out there, the really good ones, like in Operation 36, we learn how to engage beginner golfers by playing the golf course. Right. And being on the range would be just a matter of part of the initial tour. And not only that, but 15 years ago, I, I think I was pretty myopic in my whole vision of what the golf world was. I'd always been in a golf shop on the one side of the counter, whether it was scrubbing hooks in the back room or it was folding shirts at some point and then, you know, becoming a tournament operator and then eventually becoming a head golf professional. I always kind of catered to the same audience and our audience has really changed. And I'll tell you a really cool story about growing the game and not having such a gender bias. And I had a wonderful mother and I have a wonderful older sister. They treated me right and I have a great connection to them to this day. But as a guy and as a golf professional, I was always surrounded by other men. As a result, you know, nature nurture, I'm not going to say it is what it is because I should have been better at it, but I just wasn't. And then about, I think it was maybe about six years ago, I gave a beginner ladies clinic at the club and I went out and I was a true walking billboard. I was running around recruiting people to come because there was a lot of intimidation. There's a lot of headwinds you face when you're trying to have a beginner clinic. And this is a great story. You're going to love this. Because All right. There are two entrances from the, the parking lot to the club. And I said to everyone, I said, I'm going to be smart about this. I'm going to appreciate that anyone that comes is intimidating. We're going to start in a parking lot and we're going to do this whole clinic experience that's going to be like five sessions of an hour each. And we're going to include some food and beverage and, I am cutting edge with all of this, right? I have got this down, Colin. Nothing could possibly throw me for a loop, right? Uh, Obviously, I'm setting myself up for trouble here, right? So 10 of us, we meet in the parking lot. I said, why doesn't everyone go into the club? And then we'll go through how to change your shoes in the locker room, then how to go through the golf shop and everything. And every single participant those wonderful women taught me the most valuable lesson about where i've come to today and that is they all walked in the front door and the other front door was the golf shop front door they had two choices they had the front door to the building and they had the front door to the golf shop and every single one of them never even looked at the golf shop door or entrance They looked at the main club entrance and they walked through there. And I stood there and I had like a Saul on the road to Damascus moment. I was hit and knocked off my horse. And I was like, I really have no idea what I'm doing. And, you know, it was around the same time, if you go back in the timeline here of the podcast, that I was having that why moment. We need to change the stories around the game of golf. And that would be one of the number one learning experiences as I kind of went through the mental Rolodex to describe for you what has led me to the way I present the pro show Uh week in and week out on ESPN radio. We do all sorts of fun things, but I've, I'm not going to sit there and have a conversation about the flagstick being in or out of the golf hole. It's not important to my audience. What is important to my audience is how to make a playlist to play with right? or you know where they can go practice and what's a good, efficient practice routine because they have 18 million other things going on in their lives. And we get guests that reflect that. And that's what makes my job basically the coolest job in golf to this day.
1: Nice, nice. I know one of the other titles you have is the chief experience officer. And you just talked about that experience, what you then observed, and you witnessed the women walking in the front door. A similar comment made by Robert Serecci when he was on the show. Robert Sarechi is the chief operating officer and, and general manager of Medina talk about the same thing, because ultimately, who is the final decision maker with families coming in on whether they join the club or not? Is it the guy that remembers Sergio at the PGA years ago and that shot and jumping up and wanting to play that course? Or is it the women that are are really the leaders of the household who are then looking at all the other amenities and the experiences they have off the golf course and including that first moment, as you said, the walking in on that experiential journey of walking into the clubhouse? How does that feel? Does it feel welcoming? Do you feel warm there? Do you feel invited? Rather than going through, as you said, the Pro Shop there. It's a completely different lens and you need to be empathetic and observe and listen and ask questions. And it sounds like you're doing that.
0: You know, every club, Colin, if I just would throw this in there, I I want everyone to think of this. Whatever they do, however they approach, maybe someplace that they join or whatever they do, every club is a social club before it's the type of club that it is. Right. So I don't care if it's a book club, a garden club, a golf club, a country club, a swim club, a beach club. It is a social club. Right. And we have to be certainly cognizant of that as we approach it as employees and ambassadors to whatever it is that institution is and their mission is. To me, that was always very, very important. One of the guys that works with Robert is a former boss of mine named Marty D'Angelo. And Marty right. D'Angelo is a huge influence on my career. Marty's the director of golf at Medina. Well, he was the head golf professional underneath Gregor at Isleworth when I was there. Okay. So you, if right. you want to if you want to talk about a family tree of people of mentors, I have been really, really fortunate in my career, and these two gentlemen helped shape a lot of what it is I do today from a professional standpoint, but also considering and observing what people do. And for both of them, they both did their job with tremendous aplomb. And, and they were the consummate ambassadors to the game, but not only just the club in general. And you have to consider that when it comes to whatever your institution is. So I don't care if you're a server at Top Golf, or you are pouring balls at a practice range or you're the director of golf at Medina. Right. Right. We, we are all there on behalf of the game, and we share a common bond. And that bond nowadays should be more socially driven than it should be rules-driven or time-driven or some of the other headwinds that we constantly battle in growing the game pre-COVID.
1: Right, right. want to keep you rolling here with the storytelling piece, taking from experiences from your life or perhaps guests on the show. Any guests that you can uh, recall or share that were new to the game, that have never played before, and how they got into it that are from other sports? It sounds like you have guests on that are pro-athletes, celebrities from other sports outside of the golf realm. What I love about what you do, what you embrace also, is you look outside of golf, just like I do. My background's in architecture, not in golf, even though I've been in the industry for, let's say, six or seven years. I joke, but partially true that one of my superpowers is my ignorance of not knowing anything about the golf industry. So I was, I wasn't kind of locked into that box of this is just the way we do it. Cause I never knew how it was done in the first place. So with that, kind of unpack that I'm, I'm curious to hear. Some other stories of guests you've had on your show that are new to the game, that now love golf and perhaps earlier in their life had never been exposed to it or made feel welcome or whatever barriers there were. And now they are big time golf addicts and and ambassadors. Got any of those stories? Let me consider
0: that for a second as far as new to the game. Most of the people that I talk to, they have some sort of connection to the game, and that's their connection to me when I invite them on. All right, so here's a funny story.
1: Don't be new to the game, but even if they're from, especially if they're from another sport, whether it's, you know, the Steph Currys of the world or those type of.
0: All right, I've got a great funny story then. Taylor Twellman, great MLS star and athlete soccer player. Now he's an ESPN personality and he's fantastic. He has this shtick where he goes on rants and he says, well, you're like, what are we doing? And he's very vocal about whatever it is that's going on in the sporting world, particularly for him, it's soccer a lot, but they, they've they also pushed him up the ranks and made him more, he has a unique ability to give a perspective on things and kind of be very entertaining at the same time. So about two years ago, I had Taylor on, on the show. I thought there would be a comparison between Golf's need to grow the game and to use an example like PGA Junior League. And PGA Junior League has like 60 to 70,000 kids a year. And I've always felt like, man, that should have like half a million kids a year. Right. Right. Nationwide. Or let's just say North America wide. So we'll, I'll, I'll include my neighbors to the north. Right. I said, Taylor, I said, what do you think? I said, do you think that there's a model in soccer? Because soccer is so popular at the elementary school level with leagues and families. Do you think that there's a crossover or something that we could steal from soccer that we could use in golf? And I thought I had a really cool line of questioning there ready to go. And he shot me down so much. And he said, no, he's like, that'll never work because kids show up for soccer. They basically play with one ball and there's 20 something kids playing and a league of kids can play with one ball and you could have a hundred kids there rotating and playing and doing all of these things. He's like, golf has all of this other stuff. And I always look for opportunities to talk to people like that. Right, You know, and I've had, I've talked to like Gary Player and he has helped develop my perspective. And when I talk about changing the way people view the game, that's my why statement. You got to understand something, Colin. That's also for me. Right. That's also what drives me. Okay. Having these conversations with all of these folks that are related or not related. Another cool conversation I had about three months ago, I talked to Will Ahmed, and he's the developer, the entrepreneur behind Whoop. And he was getting into the golf space, and the PGA Tour became early adopters of his fitness device. And not enough people give credit to when I talked to him, I got the sense that not even he gave enough credit that in the modern sense of golf and the generations that are playing it, that there's much more of a fitness component than there ever has been. And I think it surprised him. So Michael Phelps is using this device and LeBron James and Tom Brady and whomever. Don't quote me on all those. But the point being is this was that when golfers like Rory and JT started to jump on it in the quarter sisters, he was kind of like, whoa. And then the PJ Tour is like, we want one for everybody right?" because this is really good. And in golf, the PJ of America will tell you one of the top three reasons that people take up the game is the fitness and outdoors component. Now, this is pre-COVID. Yes. That people are having these conversations. It was really cool to have a conversation with him. Wasn't necessarily a beginner golfer, but he's not a golf industry guy. Right. It opened up his mind, and that opened up my mind in return. Fast forward to where we stand now, Colin. We have 50 million more rounds in 2020, and we're going to exceed that number in 2021. Golf is on an unbelievable scale model at this point. The equipment companies don't know what to do. The OEMs, they don't know what to do. The apparel companies don't know what to do. No one can keep up with what's going on. The club professionals, the instructors, the coaches, the podcasts. We can't create enough podcasts to talk about all the cool things there are in golf, right? right? Which might be a good thing for you and I. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. The thing is, is that as these folks come on my show... I open up their mind to what's going on in the golf world. You open up my mind. I might open up yours, right? It's just this ongoing cycle of life in the golf world, which is really, really having a cool moment right now. And there's going to be just an incredible influx of attention over the next like two to three years. And then the question becomes, what can you do with it, Colin? Mm -hmm. What can I do with it, right? And I think about those things every day. And I think about that when I invite someone on the show. So it's a great question because I am looking for people that aren't necessarily beginner golfers, but they're beginners to the golf industry. And it's a unique vertical in many ways. If you've ever been to like the PGA show and that experience, you know, you walk around and it's a unique blend of folks that come together from all over the world. There's this global experience. And I hope that someday soon we could
1: truly make it a global game to go along with it. Uh, I, I agree with you. And there's so many things I want to follow up with what you just said, Keith. The first one is I agree with you completely with your insight there of what you get back from all you give by having a show and getting people on. And I certainly look to have guests on that. I don't understand their space at all. I know that they're connected in some way to experiences and contemporary lifestyle or technology that golf can learn from and pull that in. Like I mentioned to you before the show that we just released this morning, our 100th episode of the Mod Golf podcast. So we're very proud of having that uh, little milestone there. And I'm very, sincere when I say this. I now have 100 ambassadors, 100 mentors, because I believe each time I talk to someone, yourself included, is a micro mentoring moment. I learn something from all of you and get these insights and new perspectives on things. And one of the greatest things of doing the podcast, not only is the community that we're building here, and I know you're a big community builder, but also the opportunity to have some new friends. Once this COVID thing uh, lifts and I can get down to the States, I apparently have like about two dozen free rounds of golf and dinner and beers afterwards. So, So hopefully I I can cash in all those very soon. But joking aside, I love what you had said there as far as talking to people that don't have the experience of us, don't look like us, talk like us see life through a different lens. And I think that only enriches us. And I think that whole diversity and inclusion piece of making golf more welcoming and inviting is the opportunity that COVID has placed on us. Hopefully it's sustainable when we come through the other side, whatever that new normal is in the next 12 to 36 months. But I want to ask you this with your insights, especially of being a club professional for over 25 years and now doing what you are doing, Keith, do you see this I don't want to say an issue, but I've noticed now that rounds of golf are up by 20, 25%, like you mentioned, is just bonkers. It's hard to get a, a tee time. So the demand outstrips the supply. So the idea of, well, it's great now we can get more kids on the course because they don't have the other sports they want to do or new people. A lot of the golf courses, they're in business and they've got to stay afloat because they don't have that food and beverage banquet hospitality piece, no weddings, no big corporate tournaments where they have great margins on. So they're just booking their tee sheet. So they don't have the ability, Ability to offer $15 rounds to kids or put in that effort to grow the game because they're in a business and trying to stay alive. So this is a very long-winded way of asking you, Keith, what do you see coming out of this as far as growing the game and making it more diverse as far as capacity with golf courses and even with the industry, with the inclination we come through. So what I know threw a lot of things at the wall there, but maybe you can distill that down there. What are your thoughts of the future as far as coming out the other side of COVID here with growing the game and making it stick with new people that have now tried the game?
0: I'm going to throw a quick question back at you. All right. Do you think the NBA views it as a bad thing that they sell out
1: arenas? Absolutely not.
0: Not. Okay. So here's where you and I become super important creating our audiences and taking care of our audiences and coddling our audiences that they may not get all of their golf hopes and dreams each and every week. They may not get to those rounds of golf, but they can have some form of a golf experience. It could be an entertainment experience at Drive Shack. It could be listening to your podcast. It could be tuning in on a Friday afternoon when they're getting geared up for a round near New York City and they want to hear the pro show and and I have loud music on and fun guests and I'm telling jokes and they're like, man, that's getting me in the perfect mood for my golf experience this weekend. So I think that the answer to your question is, is that the round situation, water always finds its level. Okay, yeah. so the round situation will figure itself out. We don't need more courses. We need to be a little more efficient at the way that we run them. There's no doubt about that. And the people in leadership roles are aware of that. But the PGA Tour is telling as many stories as they can. Colin Weston is telling as many stories as he can. Keith Stewart is grabbing as many guests and telling as many stories as he can. There are all these pop up and startup companies. You know, there's this one company that came to me called Stick and Hack, mm. and they're a wonderful media platform. And they asked me to come on and say, hey, would you tell stories for us? Would you write for us? Jeez, I love to write. That's something that I probably wouldn't be doing if we didn't have 50 million other rounds. Right. I mean, I also write for pga.com in a coaching sense. People say all the time, you're not at the club anymore. Do you miss it? Well, I still, I still get to teach an audience of a million unique visitors to the pga.com website every month. There are different ways where we can reach out and provide support to the golfing community. One of the things that I love about you as I listen to you go through all of your different interviews from your different mediums and your different stories is that you are a community builder, okay? It's in the essence of what you do. So the golf community needs builders. You're like an engineer. You would be a lead engineer, okay? You're not just somebody who puts together their foursome every Saturday and then goes on at 5 a.m. and maybe logs on to their local municipal tea sheet and says, okay, I'm going to get my 8 a.m. tea time on Saturday morning. You are a lead engineer. I mean, you have a following of people that you keep telling these cool stories. And I'm in a similar role. And that's super important right now. And I, and I think that that's why I'm having so much fun. It's, it's kind of interesting. Six or seven years ago or eight years ago when I, I'm a legend in my own mind, right? (laughs) So I give myself the title of the director of fun. Who wouldn't want to be the director of fun, right? Right? Especially in like college or something, right? Who wouldn't want to be the director of fun? I bet you I didn't even know what that meant back then. Yeah. But I know a lot more of what it means now. And I love the evolution that I'm on. And it's it's a really cool thing. Getting out there and you and I providing golf things to digest to people that might miss a tee time, but they could still get in their car and drive home and they could turn on oh you know what i missed the uh, 611th episode of the mod golf podcast all right well they could they could listen to that and they could satiate that golf need and maybe then go to the range that afternoon with their child or something like that it's really cool what's happening in the golf space right now and i tell you there's a lot of other industries that are jealous of what we've benefited from from this terrible pandemic
1: No, I agree. Golf is certainly having a a bit of a moment right now. And that is the key, is harnessing that opportunity, all the good things that come out of it. And don't get complacent, because you've been in the golf industry a lot longer than I have. And you've seen that. The golf industry and the people that are involved in it have grown complacent, have grown a little bit smug over the years. And in some cases, I've kind of got a little bit lazy. And I've noticed, as I mentioned myself, you said I make a good engineer. I am actually an architect, so I come from more of the design side. Side of things and that's my connection to sport experiences with what i've created as a sport architect at that olympic game pan am games level not only the venues and stadiums that i've worked on over years but also the actual experience is for the fans for the players for the officials for everybody and that's really what's turned me on and got me excited when i launched the mod golf podcast over four years ago it's like okay and now i know people that have these innovative stories to tell that are technology led some are more experiential like with top golfs of the world who i worked with and then it was really interesting keith what started to reveal itself with the more introductions i was given there was this bigger piece of diversity inclusion before people were using that dni term of how do you make the game more welcoming these people that were working at this grassroots level to connect black women to golf to latina golfers in la whatever more diverse disenfranchised groups and populations there were and it was all storytelling it had nothing to do with technology I find now to sprinkle in these stories between technology, experiences, and community building, it's like this trifecta that, as you said, you could probably do a, a podcast episode every single day if I had capacity to do it. There's so many great stories out there. And I'm sure you're feeling the same way. It really is the community storytelling piece that is the glue with the technology and experiences that help bind it together.
0: I mean, that's truly what drives me every day. And I'm sure part of what drives you won't put words in your mouth, but I can tell by the emotions that comes out in your voice is that put the pga tour and the lpga tour aside we could tell interesting golf stories every day of the year every single day and we don't need the tour to drive that the tour is just really gravy at the end of the day i gotta take a moment to say hey i love being a pga professional it's part of what shaped who i am as a person today corporate golf and the pga tour and all these other leaders sometimes they get a bad rap Everybody is trying to put this all together, and it's not like a football field. It's not 100 by 50. Golf courses, they're all different, and the golfers are all different. From all those years being at a private club and having 300 customers at once, you start to feel a little bit like Bob Iger. Disney World's tough to run. This is hard. And you take your little victories along with you. I just can't reemphasize enough that as I started on this progression in my career and, and transitioning into the golf storytelling space in order to engage more people, entertain more people, to really do what I feel makes a PGA professional cool and a rock star again, Right. Rather than just somebody at a golf course that's there, maybe checking somebody in, trying to invigorate the men and women of the PGA of America. I do what I do. And I'm embracing this leadership role. I mean, that's like the first step. When you get that why statement, everybody gets a why statement, right? What's your why statement, Colin? Oh, I, I want to make more money. Okay, great. All right. Well, are you prepared and you ready to do that? Are you willing to wake up every day and do the things, the priorities and the actions that it takes to reach that goal? And then the answer is generally no. But I looked at it and I said, you know what? I'm going to embrace this leadership role. And I started to look at it in a, in a very pragmatic way. And one of the things I want to share with you, because I think you'll love this story, okay, is that many years ago, somebody came to me and I was applying for jobs. I was a first assistant professional and I wanted to be a head golf professional. And you always get this question in interviews, and that is, Your strengths and weaknesses. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And everybody always tells you to work on your weaknesses. And then they'll give you an example and they'll say, well, let's use Dustin Johnson for an example. Okay, great. Number one player in the world, but he's going to be my example for strengths and weaknesses. All right. Did you notice that he had such a weakness in his wedge game? And that's why he was 25th in the world, but then he worked on his wedge game and he became number one in the world. Colin, there isn't one ounce of golf that is a weakness to Dustin Johnson. Okay. He's better than 25 million people in the world. So I don't believe people when they say that Tiger Woods needed to work on his driving of the golf ball because it was a weakness of his. No, he worked on his strengths. His strength is golf. That's where his talent lies. So as a teacher, as a player, as a merchandiser, as a mentor, as a communicator, I saw this opportunity. I said, you know what? I, I think of anything, my biggest strength is that I'm a, I'm a pretty good communicator. I have a voice and I'm not afraid to use it. If I fail, I'll get back up and I'll dust myself off. That's a little bit of the Jersey in me and I'll, I'll take a punch and I'll keep rolling forward. But my experience in the golf vertical make me an expert, not an influencer. Right. And there's a big difference between the two of those things. So I continued to work on my strengths rather than my weaknesses. And it's kind of like what you do too. As a builder, your mindset constantly is that as an architect, you're always building and designing things. Well, of course you're a community builder. You see things from the big picture from 30,000 feet, right? And you can organize people to work at 10,000 feet. Well, when I looked at my skill set and I said, well, geez, I'm not winning any section tournaments and I wasn't teacher of the year, but yet everyone asks me to do talks. Right. And I was like, okay. So, and then I, I came across This person who mentored me and said, work on your strengths, not your weaknesses. That's a mistake that every leader makes. Well, if I embrace that leadership role, I jumped on that, Colin. In order to reach my why, I'm trying to be the best PGA professional communicator I can. If you were to ask me and say, what would be a dream of yours, Keith? I'd say, well, I would love to be the first PGA professional to give a TED Talk or something like that, because I think that that's
1: where we're going with all of this. And that's why I enjoy being with you so much today. Ah, oh, well, I, I reciprocate that gesture. I, this conversation, I can this could be like a three-hour episode if we wanted to be. I think there's lots of stories there. I think we need to follow up. But why don't we do this? Because we do, of course, want to jump on a Zoom call. So do a video interview because we have our Mod Golf YouTube channel. So we want to continue our conversation and extend it. I have a lot more questions. Believe me, I'm just kind of getting warmed up. I think you can hear it in my voice, the excitement ramping up here. I don't know. You're a more polished professional than I am. When I get excited, I start talking even faster. So I just need to slow down a little bit here, even though my excitement is there. But hey, Keith, why don't we hold off on more questions that I have bubbling around in my head? And I'll ask some of those for our YouTube interview so to finish up, why don't you tell all of our listeners here on the Mod Golf Podcast where they can find you and where they can connect, I believe, Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, The Pro Show with Keith Stewart. Let us know how they can find you and listen in. All
0: right. So the show is on ESPN 920 a.m. It's in the New Jersey market, but forget all of that. If you go to 920ESPNNewJersey.com on Friday afternoons at 3 p.m., you can stream it anywhere in the world. They also do have an app and which you could download if you get into the show and everything, but you could definitely stream it there three PM Eastern Daylight Time this time of year and you can listen to us get after it. You know, last week we had on Ty Strafacci, experience that he had being US amateur champ. He told us stories about going to the Masters and being on the first tee with Dustin Johnson, staying in the crow's nest, all sorts of cool stories like that. If you want and you want to look at old shows. You could definitely go find us on iTunes. It's the Pro Show with Keith Stewart. or on Stitcher, iHeart. We are technically right there next to the Mod Golf Podcast, right there at the top of the charts. <laughs> if you want to get the really great stories in golf and not tour talk and not just a bunch of guys yelling expletives at one another, you could definitely find Colin Weston and Keith Stewart right there. And then on, on social media, if you're into that sort of thing, at D O F. LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Twitter. But the good spot to go is 920ESPNNewJersey.com, 3 p.m. Fridays. Music, golf. Just imagine that combination. We have so much fun. Fun and
1: and stories. See, the only other piece I I miss about live experiences is I love to throw in, not only with music, I love to throw in food. I think as soon as you got storytelling, food, and music, that uh, doesn't get any better than that. So we got to hold off on the food. That's going to be virtual for now. But like I do, as always, in the show notes, as I mentioned earlier, I will put the links that Keith mentioned there. And as an experienced designer yourself there, Keith, you know, you want to keep it simple, have one ask. So I will put the link directly to what you had mentioned there with ESPM 920. That's what you want. One click, frictionless experience. and people want to find you, boom, they can do that. And not having to click on 14 different things to dig through will make it easier for them. It's what we do here. It's as you and I, as, as content creators, we like to make it easy and compelling for our listeners and our viewers. Well,
0: Colin, I can tell you, my experience to this point has been nothing but easy and enjoyable. Uh,
1: On that note, Keith Stewart, we're going to end it, my friend. This has been an amazing conversation. I have a feeling this may be a a regular segment. We're going to have to have you on every, every once in a while. Like I said, we just did 100 episodes. We'll definitely have to have you on again before number 200. Who knows? There's all kinds of collaborations. And just to finish up here, one thing I love, you did mention both of us in a similar space but you embrace one of the other qualities that I try my best to embrace, and that is it's about collaboration, not competition. I don't look at this, nor do you, as this sandbox that each of us want all the toys. Screw you. I'm going to have that. The pie is only so big. You know what? To share and to give first and to put it out there and me to promote you and you'll do the same. It, it all works out. It certainly is the way to go. And unfortunately, so many people, not just in the golf industry, but just in life in general and business, do not embrace that type of mentality and... And I I think we're all richer for it. And I'm richer for this conversation that I've had with you today, Keith. So thanks so much for joining me today on the Golf podcast. All right, I'm going to go on the record because I'm a collaborator as, as well. And the golf space could use as
0: many collaborators as possible. Sometime in the next month or so, we'll have to get you on the pro show and tear it up a little bit and we'll get to learn a little bit more about you there Mr. Collins. all
1: right gonna uh, gonna flip because we get after it you're gonna flip the script on me there Keith all right buddy well you know what I may be out working on the uh, not the strengths of my game which interesting you touched on that earlier which is my short game and wedge game that's why I'm stuck at a 15 handicap even yesterday uh, don't even get me going threw away at least half a dozen strokes and just making the 15 handicap type of mistakes on your short game there which I could have kicked it in some cases and I probably would have Save myself five strokes anyway we'll talk about that one later my friend all right keith looking forward to joining you on our youtube interview and let's leave it at that so uh again great conversation look at that we have such a tough time saying goodbye here i never have this it's like it's like we said goodbye three times here it's like i don't want to break up with you here it's like i want to keep this going no i'm gonna end it though gonna end it here so once again keith stewart thanks so much for joining me today on the mod golf podcast i look forward to talking to you uh in a few minutes on our video interview so keith take care and we'll talk to you later it's been a cool conversation colin thanks so much so that's a wrap for this episode of the mod golf podcast i hope you enjoyed my engaging conversation with keith stewart pga professional writer host of ESPN radio's pro show and director of fun if you'd like to learn more about keith and the pro show visit our episode show page where we've included website links and contact information A video link for my extended conversation with keith is also on the episode show page and please subscribe to our mod golf youtube channel while you're there if you leave a comment, I promise to respond. Please join me next time for our final Season 9 episode when my guest is two-time PGA Tour winner, Dick Sokol, who is the CEO and founder of MindTrack Golf. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor partners, Golf Genius Software and British Columbia Golf, for help making the Golf podcast happen. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from golf's brightest innovators and influencers. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship and community building in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining me. Bye for now.